we on now? You may have to turn the main up. How about now? Okay, there we go. Good morning. Good to see y'all. Um, glad to see that you all sprung forward this morning. Um, but I just did want to let you know that just in case there were those who didn't, who come late, I plan to preach for two hours. So, um, that was nervous laughter. Not, not true heartfelt like, he's really telling a joke. We'll see if I'm telling a joke. Okay. It's good to see you today. It's good to see the sun shine out and we're supposed to warm up. And I know we all have kind of been tired of the burn months. We're kind of ready for things to move on to spring. And uh, it's spring break for our kiddos and so and our teachers. And uh, got an amen from the amen gallery. And we're thankful for that. Glad that you're here today. So glad that you're here today. Uh, the, the Bible says, the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I hope that when you wake up on Sunday morning, there's a sense of gladness and anticipation that you get to come and be with your church body, your church family, and that you um, get to sing together, worship our Lord together, that uh, you get to hear the word and, um, and hear it taught, that the Holy Spirit has a chance once again uh, to do a work in your life. And so uh, glad you're here. If you're visiting with us and haven't done so, you notice in the bulletin, and if you're online, you notice it's on the screen, there's a QR code. If you know how to scan a QR code, you can scan that. It will take you to an online bulletin, all kinds of stuff in that. But if you scroll to the bottom, there's a Vistra card at the bottom. We'd love to have you fill that out. A couple of announcements uh, related to today, especially. Um, tonight is our business meeting. It's at 6.30. As a church member, it's your right, your privilege, and your responsibility to attend and participate. So we encourage you to make every effort to attend our business meeting tonight. Uh, on another note, related to our business meeting, uh, we I mentioned last week that we were going to, um, maybe after the business meeting, uh, have a little, something extra that we're going to do. My family and I are leaving uh, to go out of town tonight, so we're going to save that till next business meeting. So we'll just have business meeting only this Sunday, uh, tonight at 6.30. Um, also, if you're interested in uh, finding a place to, to serve, uh, Kathy Widener does our bulletin each week, and we're thankful for uh, her work there. Uh, but there's times when she's going out of town, and uh, it'd be helpful to her to be able to pass off the job of um, uh, updating and printing and folding the church bulletin. So if you're interested in her, you can call her or you can talk to her here at church. Um, also, today is the last day we're going to accept items for the Arctic Barnabas blessing boxes. Uh, Ken is going to get those in the mail tomorrow. And so if you haven't had a chance to donate to the blessing boxes, again, in the back, uh, in the foyer, there's a box and there's a list of things that you can donate. And if you would like to do that, feel free to. The box is full, but don't let that deter you. uh, We'll send as many boxes as we can send. Are there any other announcements we need to make this time? Anyone? All right. All's quiet on the Western Front, so we'll... We'll keep moving. Uh, this morning, we're for our call to worship, we're going to have a responsive reading together. Um, so it'll be up on the screen. So as you um, see, leader, that's me, obviously, and all is all of us together. So I'll read leader, and we'll all read together on all. This is from Romans 8, uh, starting with verse 31. What then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
We're in that season of the year when we are giving to North American Missions. Notice on the screen um, that the theme for this year is United for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And the 2022 national offering goal is $70 million. And that's that's a high mark, but I I haven't gone back and checked, but I really do think that um, Annie, Annie Armstrong Easter offering for 2021 surpassed the goal. So praise God for that and what we... We anticipate that God's going to raise up his people to do that again. So our church goal is $6,000. And just to let you know, uh, already we've got $1,000 toward our goal. And we praise God for that. And that was one Sunday into it. So a sixth of the way there, uh, one Sunday into our time of giving. So as usual, we'll give this month and next month, and then we'll send that in. So continue to pray to the Lord about how you might give to this worthy goal. Just to let you know how your gifts are used, you can see on the screen a number of different uh, ways that uh, particular amounts of money go toward resourcing missionaries. $25 for a meal with an unreached person, $300 for Bibles and discipleship materials, uh, $1,500 to worship a month, monthly worship on a, a, a facility on the rent, um, $30,000 goes toward one year of support for a church planner. Uh, so you get a, a sense of what it costs to do the work. Um, you can find uh, resources like this, um, slides like this online if you're so inclined. If you ever wonder, what, what is it? That, you know, they, they ask for all this money. What is it used for? Um, and so now you have a, a bit of an understanding uh, for what it takes uh, to undergo this work. Um, as always, uh, we try to at least spend the first month um, getting a sense from the field about what God's doing. Uh, and we do that through mission videos. And so if you'll just direct your attention to the screen. Joel, I didn't unmute the Mac. So you think we're good? Okay. All right. So here we go. In St. Louis, there's a plethora of churches. One of the constant things that we kept hearing was new church. Why do we need a new church in this community? We already got a bunch of them not doing nothing. In this neighborhood, I mean, there is a lot of homelessness, prostitution, fatherless homes. The world has changed. Sin has increased. There's more crime. There's more drugs are prevalent. It's not a secret thing anymore. My family and I bought a house in the community, and we moved there in the community. So the people that that we wanted to reach, we were living amongst. We would set up um, on a Sunday, bring our own church, bring a barbecue pit, some chips, some hot dogs, and we would have worship service in the neighborhood park. And we just began to live there, love there, serve there, and people started to come. When we see people submitting to discipleship relationships, when we see people surrender their heart to Jesus, when we begin to see the neighborhood beginning to change around us, like that's when we just know, like, like we're, we're doing this right, and we wouldn't change it for the world. But it's going to take all of us working together to ensure that, that, that lostness is being addressed in our communities. It's the body of Christ. There's someone in Tennessee, they may never come to the inner city of St. Louis, but they can give and contribute because they believe in what we're doing as a body, as an entity to help us to get to that next level. We just got to work together. We can do more together than we can do apart. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed grateful um, for being included in your mission. Um, Who are we that you would think of us, send your son to die for us, um, assemble us into your body, uh, and send us out and use us for your glory? Who are we that we should have ever been considered for that? But because of your glory, because of your desire, to have people on earth, a people on earth for yourself, a people who would love you and serve you and be committed to you. Uh, You sent your son and through his death to bring many sons to glory and to send those sons out that they might call other sons to glory. So we pray for the the couple that we just uh, saw the video on that you continue to bless their ministry 
the ministry of other churches like these that North American Mission Board are planting in hard places. We're thankful for this couple's willingness to move into a difficult community. So often we think about how great we have it here in Cherokee, and we do, and we're thankful for that, Lord. Uh, But I'm also thankful for those who are willing to go into hard places and to carry your gospel. So we pray your richest blessings upon uh, this couple, this church, and for all the churches like them who are seeking to reach the lost. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Christ's name. You want to open in your copy of God's Word to Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple for in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his tabernacles will I suffice sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music of the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this, and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the light of the in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. For all your many blessings, especially the blessing of salvation. With the Lord, we do pray that if there's anyone here today that do not know you as their personal Savior, that they will make a decision before they, before they leave. We do pray for our nation. The stuff that, uh, the mess that we're in, we just pray that you'll, you'll send a great revival to our nation so we become a Christian nation again. We seek you and give you praise. Thank you for all your blessings again. In our precious name, amen. The love of God is greater for
Thank you. Spirit, we thank you for making us alive and speaking to our heart of sin, of joy, of truth. As we sing this song together, be glorified in us. We worship you and we want your gospel to overwhelm us this morning. Let's sing this song together. pray that you would cover Shannon as he speaks. Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts so that we may see the truth and our lives will be changed. We thank you again for the cross and for the blood. We thank you for the gospel and the opportunity to come and just sing truth to one another and to you. Be glorified. In this time, in the name of Jesus Christ alone, we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, I hope that you brought with you your copy of God's word.
If you brought your copy of God's Word, I want you to uh, take it and open to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Our text this morning will be Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, I want to encourage you, bring your, your copy of God's Word every week. But if you didn't bring one, you should find a black hardback one somewhere around you. Turn to the back of the Bible, find page 151, and you'll be at Ephesians 2. Uh, again, our text this morning is, is uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and this is God's Word. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we desperately don't need the words of a man today. We need to hear from you. We're thankful that that your scriptures have truth that covers so many different aspects about salvation, about life as a Christian, about how to look at our world. Lord, there are some amazing truths in this morning's text. And I pray that um, all of these truths would be clear, evident, and that they would witness to the work of Christ, the efficacy of your word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we sing so often, Lord, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So, Lord, we pray that you would change us through this next amount of time. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1901, the first Nobel Peace Prize was awarded. And it's been awarded, not every year, but most years since... 1901. It's been awarded to presidents. President Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize, as did Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt. It's also been awarded to religious leaders, such as Desmond Tutu. I don't know if you remember Archbishop Tutu in South Africa, or Mother Teresa. It's ironic that the prize wasn't awarded Every year. Does anyone want to take a guess as to why it wasn't awarded some years? Because of war. Some recipients received the award because they were instrumental in ending war, like Henry Kissinger and Le Duc To with Vietnam. The Nobel Peace Prize for this year will be awarded in October, but it won't be the last, nor will there be lasting peace on earth. As we turn on our televisions, our TVs are full and our news feeds are full of images and videos of Ukraine, we long for peace. But as Christians, we realize that worldly peace, though it is a worthy goal, it's not the fullest realization of peace. Ending war and conflict aren't the real problems. I'm sorry, ending war and conflict doesn't usher in the kind of peace that we long for because war and conflict aren't the real problems. They're only the symptoms of it. In the first three chapters of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes about the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ to save and to transform sinful men. And in this morning's text, Paul turns our attention to our true peacemaker, Jesus Christ. We see first in the text the need for peace. The need for peace. 
First of all, the need for peace stems from the fact that there is, on planet Earth, and especially in this particular text addressing Jews and Gentiles, there is disunity and division. We didn't read it, but I'll take time to read it now. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called, and probably in your Bible it's in quotation marks, the uncircumcision. Now that was a derogatory remark made by Jews to Gentiles. And it's indicative of the division and disunity. It goes on to say in verse 12, and again here Paul is addressing Gentiles specifically. He says, remember, verse 12, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So there's the derogatory name calling. There's the alienation from the commonwealth of Israel. And then in verse 14 we see today Paul mentions the dividing wall of hostility. Now this refers to specifically uh, in the temple there was a place where Gentiles could worship but they could come no farther because there was a wall there. And if they ventured past that wall it was upon, uh, it was taking their life in their hands. They could be killed for passing this wall. So they could look at it as if it were a wall of hostility. So this disunity in division demonstrates on a human level, not just among Jew and Gentile, but there is disunity and division among all of mankind. But not only is there disunity and division on the human level, on the spiritual level, there is estrangement and enmity between God and man. Verse 12, again, Paul says... You were at that time separated from Christ. That's the estrangement, I believe, that we can say uh, exists between God and sinful man. Also in verse 12, Paul says that you were without God. Yes. Without God at the end of verse 12. I thought I'd quoted the wrong verse. I apologize. So we are born in sin, conceived in iniquity... And we all come out of our mom's womb sinners, estranged from God and at enmity with Him. In other words, He's not our friend and we're not close to Him. But that's not the end of the need of peace. There's also the lack of ability and awareness. First of all, we as human beings, we lack the ability to make peace ourselves. The type of peace that is... Needed in the midst of disunity and division, estrangement and enmity. We can't make that peace ourselves. So that's why it says in verse 14 that He, talking about Christ, has made us both one. Verse 15 says that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, verse 15 says. And then in verse 16, where it says that He reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We cannot make peace in and of ourselves. It must be done by Christ. But not only do we lack the ability, we lack the awareness of it. That's why the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached. And you notice in verse 17 how it says, talking about Christ, He came and preached Peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So this is the need for peace, but I will tell you, and I think you can understand this, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the problem, of the need for peace. But and so much more could be said. So we have a need for peace and we turn now to the who of peace. And we ask the question, who could address this need for peace where there's disunity, there's division, there's estrangement and enmity? We, don't, we can't make our own peace. And, and we're not even aware in our natural selves before we come to Christ that there is a peace that Christ has made. We have to be told. Who could address this need for peace? Well, it had to be a mediator. 
had to be a mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But Jesus was not just a mere man. That's not what Paul is insinuating there. Our mediator must be someone who is both God and man. The great Puritan writer John Owen said this, If, if Christ was only God, there would be infinite distance between Him and mankind, and that would make Him unfit to be a mediator. And if Christ was only a man, there would be infinite distance between Him and God, and He still would not be a worthy mediator. But Christ is both God and man. John says in his gospel, the Word, God, became flesh, Christ, and, and, and uh, dwelled among us. The Word existed with God. The Word was God, and He came to the earth. And He died so that He could be a worthy mediator for us. And He hung on the cross between heaven and earth. And in doing so, Christ bridged the infinite separation between God and man and could be for us the perfect mediator, our only mediator. So the who of this peace, who can address the need? The only person that can address it is Jesus Christ. And He is for us the source of our peace. Again, verse 14 says, For He Himself is our peace. He is our peace. This was prophesied in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9. Verses 6 and 7, we read this at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's a prince who brings peace. And Isaiah continues, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He himself is our peace. He's the one who can usher in peace. But furthermore, Isaiah 53.5 says, this is talking about Christ, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. He's the source of our peace. He's also the creator of our peace. Notice in verse 15, it says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You know, God is the only person who creates. Had the opportunity this past week, and I hope you did too, to go to the economics fair at the school. And the kids were so creative in what they did. They, they made candy. They made food. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich served from the guy sleeping in the second row. <laughs> I, I, it was great. There, I got a necklace. The kids were so incredibly creative. It was awesome. But you know, the kids only take what is laying around and make something out of it. God is the only person who can truly create from nothing. In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. There was nothing but God. And He spoke it into existence. David says in Psalm 51, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Why does He say that? Because we can't do it. Only God can create a clean heart. And only Jesus Christ can create one new man out of the two making peace. Jesus is also the herald of our peace. Verse 17 says, And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That word for preached, you could translate it this way. He gospelized. He preached the good news. He announced Good news. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Jesus is the herald of our peace. And finally, He's the doorway of our peace. Notice in verse 18 it says, For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the body, uh, to the Father. 
John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So if we're going to have peace, our peace depends fully on the person of Christ as our source, our creator, our herald, and our doorway. And now we turn to the what of peace. What must Christ accomplish in order for peace to really and truly become a reality on earth? Paul says, verse 14, that Christ made us both one. Then again, talking about Jew and Gentile. In other words, there were two men, as Paul says, indicating that there is disunity. And for Christ to truly bring peace, he would have to address that disunity. And so he took the two men and made them both one. But not only did he do that, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. He addressed division. That division is horizontal between people, humans on the earth. He also, verse 18, gave us access in one spirit to the Father because we were cut off from God in estrangement and enmity. So Christ not only took care of the vertical, the horizontal peace, He made vertical peace. Peace depends upon not only the person of Christ, but the work, the, I'm sorry, the wisdom of Christ. There's an illustration that goes something like this. There was a factory foreman, superintendent, his factory, uh, whatever it was producing, and I don't remember specifically what it was, the factory, it was turning out um, the items, and, and they weren't right. Something was off. And so they shut down the factory trying to figure out what is the problem here. And person after person came in, and they could not address the problem. And finally, there was a person who was called who came in, and he, and he went, and, and he wasn't gone two minutes And he came back and he said, flip the switch. And the factory went back on and it began to produce the items that it was supposed to with no problem at all. Two weeks later, the factory received a bill for $10,000. And the guy had done two minutes worth of work. And they asked him, they sent back to him uh, a request for itemizing. Could Could you let us know exactly what it was that you did? Because this seems a little over the top. And he wrote back to them and he said, tightening one nut one dollar knowing which nut to tighten nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars you know Christ Jesus could have come as a political leader he could have come as an economist a philosopher a businessman a lecturer there's many good things that Christ could have done while he was on earth but those things would not have addressed the what of peace. We turn from the what of peace to the how of peace. How would Jesus accomplish what needed to be done to bring peace? Verse 15 tells us, by abolishing the law of commandments. Now we need to understand what this means. Because we might have a tendency to put preconceived notions over some of the terms here. So I want to explain it in this way. This is what Paul does not mean. Paul does not mean abolish as in do away with the law. Remember what Jesus said. Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away, pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not about abolishing the law. Paul even says that the law is good. Romans chapter 7. He says, what then shall we say? 
that the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would uh, not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet the law, if covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And then in verse 12 and 13, same chapter of Romans. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? So Paul is saying that the law is good. Paul is not insinuating here by talking about abolishing the law of commandments. He's not insinuating that we erase the lines separating righteousness from unrighteousness, morality from immorality, right from wrong. Now the reason I address that is because I think we have a tendency to think of that's what, what Paul was talking about. Here's what Paul does mean. When Christ came and died on the cross, he dealt with in his flesh what separated Jew and Gentile in the law. Notice again verse, verses 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He's addressing the separation between Jew and Gentile, and he did it in himself. Remember, I mentioned just a moment ago, the wall that the Gentiles could come to, the sign that said, if you come any farther, you will die. Christ dealt with that. And He dealt with that by dealing with what separated God in sinful humanity. And He did so, as Paul says here in the text, in His flesh, through the cross, making peace and killing hostility. What Paul means is that the law that was the basis for separation between Jew and Gentile was made of no effect. It was nullified in terms of how it separated Jew and Gentile. Christ had to fulfill the law. For in doing so, Romans 8 verses 3 and 4, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what does that mean for us? Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ also Perform the how of peace by coming and preaching peace. Again, verse 17 says, He came and preached peace. It says it not once but twice. And here, it's not talking about Christ physically coming in His body and preaching peace. It's talking about here, Christ's messengers speaking His message of peace. And the message of peace is not a message of peace apart from the truth of God. Nor is it a message of peace apart from the holiness and justice of God. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, God rebukes the false prophets and the hypocritical religious leaders of the day who would overlook people's sin and pronounce peace upon them. Listen to what the Lord says. They have healed the wound, their sin, the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. See, when Jesus came and preached peace, He wouldn't say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Jesus wouldn't say, as people are prone to say nowadays, that Jesus, that God's love has won out over His holiness. You know, people do say that this, these days. That God's love won out over His holiness in Christ. That the Old Testament God was a God of holiness but no love. But when you get to the New Testament, you have Jesus and He is all love but no holiness. And that is utterly false and entirely blasphemous. Peace depends upon the work of Christ. We turn to the why of peace. Why would Jesus do this? 
Why would Jesus recognize the need of peace? Be the one who came and did the what and the why and the how? The how? Why would he do this? That he might create in himself one new man. Christ wants for himself a unified people. Not only that, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body. Not only does Christ want a unified people, he wants a unified people belonging to God that there might be unity on a horizontal level and unity on a vertical level. So our peace coming through Jesus Christ, it depends on his person, his wisdom, his work, and his purposes. So having done all this, we come to the so what of peace. So what? I mean, you've probably been sitting there wishing at some point I would get to where, where does the rubber meet the road here, Pastor? Let's, let's get it down to brass tacks. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out what we could call the indicatives of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? He's indicating, he's describing all that God has done in Christ. Now why does he do that? So that we might understand that the indicatives of the gospel, they come before the imperatives. A lot of times people will want to come to Christ and say, you know, I'll just do the things that will make me a good person. That is the wrong approach. You will not find peace with God in that way because the indicatives are the basis of the imperatives. Furthermore, the imperatives are impossible apart from the indicatives. We cannot make peace on our own. If the indicatives, now listen to this, if the indicatives do not lead to the imperatives, the commands... Are you listening? If the indicatives do not lead to the imperatives, then what evidence does a person have that they have peace with God? Paul says in in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The so what of what God has done for us in Christ is that we might work out the peace that's been worked in us. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that he spent three chapters describing. Worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. That's the horizontal level. He says in verse, in chapter 6, verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, we're to be people of peace, and we're to be people like Christ who make peace, who who broadcast peace. Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. In 1 Thessalonians 5.13, he says, be at peace among yourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.11, he says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of peace, of love and peace will be with you. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And then James, I think maybe following up on this in three eighteen says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It should be people of peace, people who make peace, people who broadcast the message of peace. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that if we have received peace, we will be changed. The gospel changes things. I want you to think about, um, and I know I'm running long, but I told you I was going to preach for two hours, so we're all good. The Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. 
It met because of problems between Jews and Gentiles. There was the problem, really the problem was, Gentiles, they had some really strange practices. And some of those, they needed to get rid of because they were holdovers from their sinful pagan past. But their Jewish brothers were wanting them to go a little bit farther than what the gospel prescribed. So here's what I mean by that. You might think of it this way. And aren't we so prone to do this? Where Christ breaks down a law, we will seek to find a way to rebuild it. Now, I think the Jews, they had, they had some legitimate concerns. But it took this Jerusalem council coming together and saying, you know, if the gospel is true and I have received it, it changes things. We can no longer operate according to Jew and Gentile. We are one in Christ. Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He has made us one new man. I say all that to say this. Again, the gospel changes people. Not in an invisible way but in a visible way. See, the visible part gives evidence of the invisible part. God imparts, imputes righteousness to us, and we can't see that, but the righteousness He imparts is visible. It's a lived-out righteousness. And here's what we need to understand. You are called to repent. God will not repent for you. You are called to believe. God will not believe for you. You are called to be a peacemaker. God will not make peace for you. The obedience falls on us. So then with the ball in our corner, we go, Lord, I can't do this. This this is so problematic. That's true. That's why He is our peace. He is our peace. We must come to Him. We must find our peace in the source of our peace and nowhere else. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Your Word. Where else can we go, Lord, but, but your word to discover what our problem is and what you have done about it? Where else can we go to find peace except to Christ? Lord, if there are any here that have not made a profession of faith, I pray that today that they would make that profession of faith, that they would realize they cannot make peace with you on their own, that they have to come to the source of peace, which is Christ who did all the work. Lord, for us, who perhaps aren't living in peace with someone else, help us to remember that the work to make peace a reality is done. Help us to walk in it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing at the cross. There's a a decision that you need to make in this moment. I encourage you to do so.
few updates um, from our prayer list. Ben Campbell's going to have a procedure, um, put some, uh, something near his heart to help with blood clots. That'll be on the 28th. So pray for Ben. Um, Larry's having surgery this week to replace a knee, right? Wednesday. Okay, so we need to pray for, for Larry. I uh, need to continue to pray for uh, the Will Shannon family. Will, that's Larry's nephew, passed away this past week. We need to pray for him, his family. Um, and then I, I was made aware <clears throat> this morning that, um, oh gosh, Vernon Brister's sister passed away this last week. Did I get that right, Sue? Okay, so we need to pray uh, for that family as well. Continue to pray for Nell as she's recovering from her surgery on her, her mouth. Uh, it's still a long road of recovery for her, so we, we want to pray for her. Are there others that we need to pray for at this time? Okay. Well, let's, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll say the Great Commission, and we'll see you at business meeting tonight. Father, we do lift up these, uh, these folks on our prayer list. We're thankful again, Lord, that you are the great physician. Uh, we pray for Ben, we pray for Larry, for Nell. Uh, we pray that, um, <clears throat> that you would guide the, the doctors, those that are working with them. Pray for, for Nell's pain to subside. We pray for a smooth surgery for Larry and also for Ben as it comes up. Uh, we also pray uh, for Will Shannon's family uh, and for Ver, uh, Vernon's uh, family and the loss of his sister. Uh, we thank you again, Father, for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, for all that we have in Him, uh, for all that we have been made in Him. And we pray it all in His name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Son.